When uh, my family first moved here to Houston about 10 years ago now, there's a little bit of frustration for my oldest daughter because whenever she'd come into town and people would meet her, they'd go, oh, you're Gary's daughter. And she said, I don't know that I can ever have an identity here apart from just being somebody's daughter. So my youngest daughter, Kelsey, was trying to give her a little perspective and said, Allie, it's just the way it is. Whenever you're in Houston, you're always going to be known as the daughter of Gary Thomas. But, she said, but, but that's better than like, you know, being the daughter of an axe murderer or something like that. I, I think that was a compliment. I, I, I'm going to receive it as a compliment. But I, I don't know this morning whether you have a tremendous relationship with your dad that it gives you a great sense of worth and value that you could be identified with him. I don't know if you've gone through 20 years of therapy trying to undo the damage you feel he's done to you. You might have grown up without a father at all having a whole different kind of womb. But more important, this is the good news of what we're going to look at today. More important than how your earthly father shaped you, we're to be shaped by the identity and character of our heavenly father. We discussed this morning how our heavenly father shows not just compassion, but a scandalous compassion. We're actually going to finish up the parable of the prodigal son. If you were here earlier, remember we did that months ago. We never got a chance to go back to the elder brother. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. I don't need to go through the whole parable. I imagine everybody here listening online, watching online, has heard this so many times. Where a son says to his dad, I want my part of the share of the inheritance. He goes off, squanders it all on crazy living, comes back. The father welcomes him in, has a party. We're picking it up, and this is where we really see the character of the Father and of God in comparison. When the elder brother comes in, so we're going to pick up at Luke 15, 25, and here's what we read. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Your brother has come, he said. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother was angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Do you remember those earlier sermons for the son to say to his father, just give me half of my inheritance... It was tantamount to saying, Dad, I just wish you were dead. It was so scandalous. But the elder brother is saying the same thing to his father. I wish you were dead. To ask his father to come out in front of others, to disobey his father like that, and then to lecture his dad in front of the neighbors was just as scandalous. Just as much saying, I wish you were dead. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to be a father. This is wrong. He shouldn't get to come back. You don't know how to be a dad. One day I'm going to be the dad and I'm going to do it better than you do. There would have been this silence. Did, did, did he just say that? And so right at the start we see there are two different ways to offend God Two different ways to cry out against God. The elder brother, the prodigal son, they're both saying the same thing in different ways. And can I make it personal for us today? Every time we sin, you and me, we say the same thing to God. I just wish you were dead. 
God, get, get out of my conscience. I don't care what you say. I know you think this is best for me. Right now, I don't think you know what's best for me. I don't want you to make me guilty. I don't want you to compel me. Just leave me alone. I just wish you were dead. The face of this reprehensible and universal rebellion, Jesus reveals to us a compassionate father who still says, I want you to come in to the party. Here's a corollary that we have to leave with today. If God is a God of compassion, then to be God's people means we have to become people, not just of compassion, but scandalous compassion. As God is a God of scandalous compassion, we're to become a people of scandalous compassion. Compassion's sympathetic pity. It's feeling for someone instead of just judging them. It's trying to understand what's going on within them. And so the question, how do we grow compassion for sinners as his father had for both of his sons? And why did the elder brother so miss the boat on having compassion for his younger brother? First thing I think we see is this. The older son failed to have compassion for the prodigal because he thought the prodigal got away with something. He thought he had lived the good life and maybe he was a little envious. And, and what we read from this parable, you know this, he hadn't heard the whole story. The, the prodigal didn't get away with anything. He was reduced to misery. He was literally envious of what pigs were eating. Now, think of where he grew up. We know his dad was extremely wealthy. How do we know that? The country had been in a famine for years. The father had given away a large part of his belongings to the prodigal son he still had a fattened calf in the background. Most families, they're, they're digging bark off trees, trying to dig up tree roots. He's still got a fattened calf just in case. So he may not be Jeff Bezos wealthy. I, I don't know anybody other than Solomon who was Jeff Bezos wealthy. He's Beyonce wealthy. All right? He's Beyonce wealthy with those mansions and the dresses and the shoes and maybe a plane. And imagine Beyonce waking up one day, the choices she made... I'm sure this wouldn't happen, but she wakes up homeless in an alley, envious of a dog gnawing on a decomposing rat. And she says, I wish I could get some of that. From where she fell would make it all the worse. That's where sin had led the younger brother. He didn't get away with anything. And yet the older brother, he, he thinks he did. And, and I wonder, and, and, and this is the challenge for us religious. Do you have compassion for our fellow sinners? Or do you envy fellow sinners? Do you think you're doing God a favor by not sinning? See, maybe the elder brother thought, I, I wish I could have done what he did. I wish I could have gone away and, and had my fun with the prostitutes and the drunkenness and all of that and just forget about life for a while. Maybe he was envious and he couldn't have compassion. What he didn't see, what the eyes of compassion does see, is that life is hard for those who do evil. Because evil's its own punishment. If Sin by definition is saying, God, I wish you were dead. I don't want to live one second apart from the presence of my heavenly Father. 
Compassion doesn't look at what sin gives to people. That's what religious people do. Compassion looks at what sin takes away from people. Think about this. A life of obedience is a life of peace with God and with others. We don't have to worry about being found. It's a life of joy. It's a life of connection with God, of affirmation by God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, feeling his anointing. Why would we want to give that up? And to drift away from God is to drift away from love. To drift away from love, by definition, is to drift toward hate. I want you to think about that. If you're tempted to drift away from God is to drift away from love. To drift away from love, where are you going? You're going toward hate. Hate is merciless. It is cruel. It will lie to you. It will entrap you. It will not satisfy you. It will not fulfill you. Compassion understands that. And God, like the father in this parable says to the prodigal, I'll let you go. It's going to beat you up. It's going to be merciless. But when you come to your senses, I'm right here. I'm waiting for you. You can come in to the party. But Houston, we have a problem. There's a disconnect with compassion here because the older brother doesn't think he needs compassion. He doesn't think he needs what the father is representing. He says in verse 29, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He has lost his mind. In a land racked by famine, he's lived in luxury, but luxury is what he wakes up with every day. He forgets he lives in luxury. He forgets what it's like to live with a clean conscience and, and all that he has. He says, Sin, I, I, I've been slaving for you. And you think, how could he lose his mind like that? Kurt talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago about how we don't smell our own house. Neuroscientists call that nose blind. You, you, don't, you don't smell your own house. If you have a dog, you're nose blind. If I walk into your house... Oh, you have a dog. You walk into your house. You don't smell the dog. It's just your house. Your, your brain doesn't process it because it's just the way things are to your nose. I think there's something called grace blind. The, the elder brother, all of us, we can become so familiar with God's peace and joy and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We know we can be forgiven. We've got God's spirit that we stop seeing grace as grace. It's, it's just the way things are. And then things go a little bit bad, and suddenly we're just like, I've just been your slave, God. Not your son, not your daughter. I'm just your slave. Talk about an elder brother. Let me talk about an elder sister. Let's say she would say, I've done everything right. I've saved myself for marriage. I wasn't a party girl. I, I was at church every Sunday when they opened up. And when grandma gave me $10 for my birthday, the first dollar went into the offering that very next Sunday. I did everything right. And 10 years later, I hate my job. I'm a magnet for loser guys or ignored by any guy I would want to be with. I don't like my life, but she, I, I went to college with her. And she did everything wrong. 
If it moved, she slept with it. If it was liquid, she drank it. If it was filthy, she laughed about it. Today, she's got a disgustingly handsome husband. Ridiculously cute kids that just make me sick in the life that she wants. And it's not fair. I did everything right. Why has everything gone wrong? When she says that, she hears what the father hears from the elder brother that said, I just wish you were dead. God would say, you don't know what she felt. You don't know the abuse she faced, the memory she deals with, the the regrets she has. And and God would say, and everything's gone wrong? I've given you a life filled free of so much pain that she's experienced that you have no idea of. You have the hope of salvation. You have my Holy Spirit. That means nothing to you. What happened to her, she's become grace blind. It sounds scandalous to some, but if we have grace, we have everything we need. If we don't believe that, we can't have compassion for sinners. We have envy for sinners. Compassion is born when we can say with the psalmist, 8410, what we sang earlier, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the so-called good life in the homes of the wicked. We can't have compassion for sinners if we envy sinners by definition envy kills compassion and when we have envy what happens is that we separate ourselves from others we don't have compassion for them we want to make sure i'm not one of them and that's what the elder brother did verse 29 you didn't even give me a young goat so i could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours not brother of mine this son of yours See, compassion feels, envy, and judgment separates. I'm I'm not like him. The parable is all about a father of incredible compassion. That's compassion on the prodigal, but also on the elder son. Both groups. And, And that's what we find ourselves today. We have such a polarized society, and the coronavirus typifies it. Lisa and I are part of next door it's an app in the heights where you can read what your neighbors say basically you hear what your neighbors rant is what next door is and so you've got the one group that says if you're not wearing a mask you're a murderer now whether you believe it or not how do i have compassion for someone well imagine this imagine you had no sense the providence of god You have no hope of praying for real healing. You're not even sure if God is there if you become sick. And if you die, no assurance of where you're going to go. Compassion says, of course you're terrified. Of course you're angry. What wouldn't you be when they're putting on you the worst threat imaginable? I don't have to agree with somebody to have compassion. that, That makes sense to me. And then on the other side, everything has to open. This is over. You have to have everything open. And others say, no, you're going to murder me if you open. But then can we have compassion on the small business owners? And this all started, I was at a coffee shop in the Heights. And a woman <laughs> made many chais for me. And I just said, how are things going? She goes, we're down 50%. This is before the small business thing was passed. I just said, I'm so sorry. 
See, because of God, I can have compassion for both sides. I don't have to give judgment. I can feel for both groups how they both feel. Because that's, this is what matters. Not what I say. It's what Jesus did. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. They weren't perfect. They were not in agreement. Because they were harassed. And helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we have compassion. We realize you're sheep without a shepherd. No wonder you're so angry. No wonder you're so fearful. No wonder you keep going back to sin again and again. Trying to pull something out of it. It just doesn't happen. You don't have a shepherd. You don't have a shepherd to say, don't go down that road. That's poisonous for you. And here's the green grass. Here's the still waters. Here's where you can... They don't have that. We have a shepherd. So we can have compassion. Because somebody's looking out for us. And we can look at others that don't have that and we can say how terrifying it must be. Now, what this parable doesn't teach is that I only have to have compassion for those who agree with me. That's what the world does and it's sort of the opposite of what this parable teaches. The the father has compassion on the elder brother and the prodigal son. So I have to say this firmly. I want to be gentle, but I want to be firm. If we're going to get anything out of this. If you were low on compassion, you are far from Christ. If you're low on compassion, you're far from Christ. Lisa, I have a good friend. He runs emergency rooms all over until he became Surgeon General in Arkansas. And he gave me a mini education. When I asked him, what do emergency room doctors have to do? He said three things, ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Make sure the airway is clear. Make sure they're breathing. Make sure there's circulation. Then they're going to live and we can deal with the other issues. What would be the ABCs of spiritual health? We've got to choose what's most important. We can't concentrate on everything. And I hope when we look at priorities, we don't have any students who for their life verse, you know, in the annuals, they have those pictures. I hope we don't have any that, that gave the response that this guy gave, Eric. Education is important, but big biceps are importanter. <laughs> What's importanter for the spiritual life, for Christianity? I would say compassion is the C. It's that essential. If I'm working with somebody and there is no compassion, I'm not going to be able to find Christ in there. That's the message of this parable. Jesus said in Luke 6:36, "You must be compassionate." Just as your father is compassionate. See, one of the keys to being compassionate is we understand our own need for compassion. And that's the hang-up for the religious. It's possible to be a prodigal without being an elder brother. It's not possible to be an elder brother without also being a prodigal. But the elder brother doesn't realize that. He's forgotten In one sense, he or she is a prodigal as well. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one means not 
even you. We all live by grace. A healthy Christian is a fan of grace because they live by grace. It defines them. 500 years ago, when I used to fly on airplanes, and I, I would land in Chicago or L.A. or, or Washington, D.C., I would love it if I saw a Seahawks jersey or a Seahawks hat, because that's my team, right? I don't know anything else about the person, but hey, go Hawks! Yay, Russell Wilson! We might get the beast mode back. I mean, he's, I don't know anything else about him, but we, we're fans of the same team, so there's this connection. Well, when we have received God's grace, and we know we need His grace more than anything else, and if we have His grace, we don't really need anything else, then we celebrate the examples of grace. See, grace has to be such a defining part of my life that, that more than I am a Democrat or Republican, I ascribe to grace. More than I'm a citizen of the United States or any other country, my homeland is grace. More than I was schooled at AM, Baylor, UT, or none of the above, I'm schooled in grace. It's the overwhelming identity of my life. More than I'm a man, more than I'm anything, it's grace. That's what defines me. And so when I see grace in action, I get excited. It saved me too. We're fans of the same thing. But if I don't focus on grace, the elder brother, he focuses on the garbage. So we can't celebrate the grace. Have you ever done a park cleanup? Maybe Martin Luther King Day, Junior Day, when they come and they clean it. And if you ever do that, you could be in a beautiful bayou, and you've got the birds and the trees and the lazy waters of the bayou, and you're cleaning up garbage. And after an hour, you start to get sour. Because you just see the garbage. People are such slobs. This isn't even food and these wrappers. This is just garbage. You you forget you're in a park because you're just picking up the garbage. An hour later, I come along and I'm running. This isn't me, but, um, you know, running through the park. If we could put up the photo. And you're doing a better thing than me. You're the older brother. You're doing a selfless work. You're cleaning up the garbage. But I'm just selfishly running by thinking, oh, it's a beautiful day. I can hear the birds. I'm going to keep ahead of that, that, that piece of wood in the bayou. And you're just running. I'm enjoying it. And you're not. You forgot you're in a park because even though you're doing a good thing, you're just focused on the garbage. And that's what the Pharisees did. That's why they missed Jesus. Instead of being astonished at the grace he gave to sinners of all stripes, they said, why is he talking to that piece of garbage? Why would you let that despicable person in? Now here's the thing. In the ending that's so fascinating, we know the prodigal son got to go into the party because Jesus tells us that. He never tells us if the elder brother goes in. He leaves it open. It's brilliant. He's leaving it to the religious. Are you going to come in even if you think there's garbage inside? I... um, was so convicted this week at how much of an elder brother I can be. How, I think one of my great pastoral failures a couple years ago. I've been corresponding with a guy. I'm going to interview he and his wife for a book coming up. Not the one I'm on, but the next one. And so we're setting up interviews. And he said, well, some of my testimony is on this website. He called it castimonia.org. C-A-S-T-I-M-O-N-I-A.org. It's a Christian... 12-step recovery group for sex addicts. And, and I'm humbled to realize, I've been in Houston for a decade, I didn't realize that Houston is one of the worst cities in the country 
for guys that are struggling with those issues. I'm not going to get into particulars because I know we have kids in the service, but whatever those kind of guys would be drawn to, apparently Houston has it in spades. Right? Who knew? And there's this incredible work of God. These men who have gone through it want to leave that behind. A Christ-based 12-step group selflessly giving themselves out to others. And, and he said, I, I, we might want you to do one of the podcasts. He had read When to Walk Away. Maybe we could do that. And I said, you know, I get a lot of those requests. I said, I, I don't know the vocabulary of the recovery movement. You all know more than I do. I could learn more from you than I could teach. And I'd say something I think is profound and it's probably a cliche to everybody. We've heard that a hundred times. Because we'll just, just look at them and see. And one of the podcasts caught my eye. It was um, Sex Recovery in the Age of Me Too. It was a couple years old when the Me Too movement exploded in a good way. And I remember that. And, and I remember being one of those that was celebrating it. God is doing a great work. This needs to be exposed. What women have been through, it's got to stop. I'm glad that men are being held accountable. And I don't disagree with a syllable of that. And I don't, I, I don't regret a syllable of that. I'm, I'm glad I was right there supporting it. But here's where I failed as a pastor, where I'm not like the father in this parable and like the God of scandalous compassion. I never realized when I was listening to this podcast, the guy starts out, his name is Doug, and he said, if there's women listening, look, we are, we are not excusing what we did, and if you know the 12 steps, you are making amends, you're asking for sorry. He goes, this isn't for you, I'm just trying to help the guys who are struggling with this. He says, we don't want to be famous. We don't want this to become national. I just want to be able to focus on these guys. He had a pastoral heart because I thought, when I heard it, I thought, what would it have been like to wake up one morning and to realize you are among the most hated and despised group of people in the history of our country, practically. And just with a pastoral heart toward him, he said, look, I, 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 we're, we're going to leave this behind. We're working the steps. He goes, but I don't want you to get into shameful self-loathing because you're just going to relapse. It's going to create the pain that you're going to try to medicate with what we left behind. He goes, because here's the deal. When we repent and come to Jesus, now I'm going to go to my language, not his, there's still a place for us in the party. God will let even us in. And I had to confess to a friend of mine, he, he, he's been dealing with this for a long time. I said, I'm sorry, because when this was going through, I didn't even think as a pastor toward you, what is it like that you're feeling this shame and this loathing over your past and what you've done? And, and I, I realized how scandalous this was in the first century that this father would show such compassion to the prodigal. Will we let it be scandalous in the 21st century? See, tax collectors, that was scandalous in the first century. Jesus going around with prostitutes. But what was so amazing about Jesus, he was against all sin. And we must be against all sin. But he was for all people. You see the difference? That's how he showed compassion. Our world is the opposite. We're against the sin that our enemies do. <laughs> we excuse the sin that our friends do. And God is a God who hates all sin, and he's for all people. And 1 Corinthians 5.15, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. But whoever believes in him can still come to the party. I realize I need your compassion, Lord. That it's not about picking sides. It's about opposing evil, but being compassionate toward all people. Even people I'm angry at. Even people I think are, are, are my enemies. If I'm going to be like the God that Jesus describes, i got to have compassion for all. It's scandalous, but it's true. We, we couldn't make this up. This is who God is. More than this parable is about a judgmental elder brother. It's about a father with scandalous compassion who says to the prodigal, I don't care what you've done, how you've shamed me. If you will come back, I've got a party ready to go. I'll give you, you're hungry. You realize the world ripped you up. There's a place for you here. I've got a fattened calf just waiting for you in a world of famine. If you're a vegetarian, there's an impossible burger that will blow your mind. You're going to be satisfied here. But he's also the compassionate God toward the elder brother. Don't, don't focus on the garbage. Focus on the grace. You've received grace. Be excited when I show grace. Because you know what? There are some people that would say, I'm not going into any party. I'm not going into any church that lets that garbage in. That's where we have to be different. God shows compassion on everyone. We worship a God of compassion. And so we're called to be a people of compassion. 